This is the Canes Corner Podcast with host Adam Gold, part of the Capital Broadcasting Podcast Network. Now here's the host of the Canes Corner Podcast, Adam Gold. It's another edition of the Canes Corner Podcast. Adam Gold, Alec Campbell, your 99.9 The Fan Hurricanes experts. <laughs> right. Yes. Uh, all right. Let's, uh, in f- full disclosure, uh, was it on Thursday of last week? that you and I recorded this and then because we got got distracted with a whole bunch of things then the hurricanes added Ryan Dzingel and we uh we just never posted it so we have to start over that's okay things happen that's the world of the media that's the world we live in these days and you know at least we're man enough to say not put something out there right. that is old and uh you know Talks about doesn't doesn't cover things that right. need to be covered. I mean, who would want to listen to a podcast that doesn't include the addition of Ryan Dzingel? That's what I'm saying. And part <laughs> of the podcast was what do the Hurricanes need to add, and we sort of gave it in general terms, and then yeah. we got Ryan Dzingel, and so now it's time to go back and redo it. All right. So uh, we spoke with John Forsland on Friday, so we'll give you that, uh, and then uh, we'll be back to talk about, I guess, how we view the Carolina Hurricanes. Two weeks exactly after free agency began. So uh, we open up with the one and only voice of the Carolina Hurricanes, John Forsland. The voice of the Carolina Hurricanes is John Forsland. And like everybody else in the sport, it's cottage time. It's main time for John Forsland. Uh, but that doesn't mean that there isn't news to discuss. So thank you very much for uh, taking a break from uh, from lobster with drawn butter to talk a little Hurricanes with us. <laughs> I stay away from that, but uh, great to hear your <laughs> voice, Adam. And uh, it seems like it's always hockey time, isn't it? Like, Man, there's es- always something especially Especially right now. We had that initial wave of free agency, and then it, it took a break for about a week, and now uh, the Hurricanes dipped in. So let's start with uh, Ryan Dezingle, who had a really good year with Ottawa on the back of a good year, the uh, the previous one, and he was part of the Matt Duchesne trade with Columbus. Uh, didn't really end all that well for Dezingle, but Carolina gets a fast, talented uh, player with some offensive upside. Yeah, this guy has tremendous speed. So the Hurricanes are already a fast team. They get quicker. Uh, he's a proven goal scorer at the NHL level, so you can you can plug him in for at least 20 goals, you would hope. Um, he's a player who has an, an outstanding uh, elite-level shot and loves to shoot. Uh, this guy is a, is a gunner through and through. He'll shoot the puck, he'll shoot off, and he'll ask questions later. That's all good. His issue and Rod Brindamore's challenge with his players, getting more out of him in the scoring areas, getting more out of him in tight games where he appears to be a non-factor. And that's happened to him, unfortunately, a couple of times in the playoffs. But it gives the Hurricanes depth in terms of their scoring. Uh, you look at the roster right now, uh, you can plug in at least five forwards that are 20 goals or better. That's good. A couple of guys in the back end who can score at least 15 goals. In Hamilton's case, hopefully 20 goals. Mm-hmm. That's good. So goal scoring, you know, you check the box, you move on. Um, but but he's a, and he's a real good person. Ryan Dezingle's a, a good kid, uh, a good player. He's 27 now, so he's entering the uh, the late end of the late stage of his career. Um, two-year deal, friendly for the team, all the way around. It, it seems like a, an excellent signing. 
Voice of the Hurricanes, John Forslund. He has great hair and fancy dance moves, and he joins us here on the Alan Kelly and Company Train Hotline. All right, the other uh, big signing in the offseason, Nick Howell, or uh, Eric Howla, excuse me, I don't know why I want to call him Nick. Eric Howla, what was your perspective on the Eric Howla signing as well? Well, Eric Howla is uh, another fast forward. I mean, I could say a lot of the same things you'd say about, and I just did about Ryan Dezingle, but he's a, he's a center which will help a center who's wants to be a top two guy. Uh, the way things are slotted right now, uh, he looks like the three center for the hurricanes, which is good. Um, but he's adaptable to all situations. He's also an outstanding penalty killer. He, I think has more of a two way dimension than Dezingle does. Um, and again, coming off a significant knee injury and with a little bit of concussion history in his past, Alec, that's the only thing that you would look at here as a, a risk for the Kings. Vegas, with cap issues, you know, had a variety of guys expendable. They had to, they had to make a move to open up some room for other guys. So the Hurricanes were smart in feasting on a team like this, adding uh, Eric Holler to the mix. Um, you know, what I saw out of him uh, two years ago in the playoffs – was phenomenal. He was on a great line, scored 29 goals. He was an impact player in the playoffs for Vegas. And last season, you can't really make a judgment because he was injured in the first week of November. So, um, again, this is just another way to uh, augment your scoring and add a player that will play to the Hurricanes' identity in terms of quickness um, and will be strong in all three zones. And he's pretty good in the faceoff circle, mm-hmm. too. So I, I like that move. I really did. Justin Williams. Forget about the um, the leadership just for a second, which I think is tangible. I mean, he was a 53-point guy. He looked like a, an outstanding player last year. I mean, don't they need that player? Forget about the leadership just for a second. 23 goals, and the majority of those in the second half had serious impact, right? So mm-hmm. uh, that's tough to replace. I mean, numbers-wise, you can do it. Analytically, I think you can do it. Um, but you're not going to replace intangible dimensions that this player brings. And I'm, I'm not even in the room yet. I'm talking about his board play, his, right. his heady play on the ice. Um, you just look at the way he, he coaches guys on the ice. Um, he brings a lot to the table. I, I, I've felt, as we all have for a long time here, there's two things working that none of us would speak for Justin. He's earned the right to make his call whenever that is. But secondly, it looked like the Hurricanes were holding a seat for him at the table. Those seats are, are going away unless I'm missing something here. <laughs> right. um, so by getting this player today, uh, significant money, because you would think uh, if Williams comes back, it would be close to, if not you know, right around or a little bit better, I would think, than where he was last year. So if he made you know, $5 million in the first year, $4 million in the second year, four and a half hit, you would think like Joe Thornton does every year with uh, – San Jose's become the Walter Alston of hockey. It's a, it's a one-year deal every year, and he signed last year. Thornton played for five million as a captain of the San Jose Sharks. So I would think that's the kind of money that you would be talking about with Justin. But we're getting, you know, it's middle of July now, so it is later, and and before long we're going to hear one way or the other. But I think they need him. I really do. I think they need him in a lot of ways on the ice. Mm -hmm. And we all know the importance he has had to that group last year off the ice and helping Rod, you know, uh, you know, communicate the culture, communicate the message and making sure young players understand where they need to be to play for the Carolina Hurricanes. John Forslund joining us here kind of along those same lines 
let's just I'm, I like to be a, a glass half full guy, John. I, I don't know I if you know you that Mr. about Negative. me. <laughs> I don't know if you know about that about me. I don't know if the uh, the Canes fans out there know that about me. But uh, let's just go ahead and assume that they do find a way to bring Willie back next year. Are the Hurricanes better now than they were last year? And if so, how much better? Well, they're better in terms of scoring without question. There are more options. It's a full season of Niederreiter. It's Howla. It's Dezingle. You know, those three players make it different. And we saw Niederreiter's impact, you know, uh, January on. Um, would have liked to see more in the playoffs from Nino Niederreiter. So, you know, th- those are things that you hope, you know, improve moving forward. Um, defensively, uh, you know, I, I, we'll have to see. Because, again, Calvin DeHaan was a steady, arguably 4-5 guy. And by freeing up the money with DeHaan leaving, that gives them a chance to uh, supplement the forward group, which they have. Okay, that's all well and good. But are you adding and subtracting at the same time? So there's some gray areas, Alec, on the back end, you know, in terms of the 5-6 pairing, the health of Van Riemsdyk and who the – who that guy is, you know, does, does Bean make the grade? Does mm-hmm. Flurry, you know, settle in as a steady uh, defenseman as, as a five? You know, does that happen? Is Gustav Forsling, who they still have to sign, is that player, you know, given an opportunity to do some of that? You know, I, I don't know one through six if they're as strong defensively as they were last year, so that's different. And then I, I, I'm concerned about Furlan, the good part of Michael Furlan. Mm. The good part of Michael Furlan was unbelievable. Not only could he score, not only is he a, a tough guy with some grit that can play in your top six, but his presence on the bench gave other players insulation. Mm-hmm. And I worry about that. I, all, all, you know, high marks for the McGinns and the Martinooks and those players, Fogel, you know, those guys that push that, that side of the game. But Furlan is more of that real deal. And you could, you could play Washington, you know, with a healthy Furlan, Tom Wilson. You could play Nashville with a healthy Furlan, you saw what he did, you know, with Austin Watson, you know, those are, those are things I don't see right now. And, and maybe the Canes can figure that one out before they get to the very top of the salary cap. Cause this thing is growing daily. Um, but I, I do think it was proven in the playoffs. You have to have some of that oh, yeah. to augment your skill. Final thing before we have to say goodbye, Sebastian, Ajo had, I mean, nobody's happy with the way it played out with the uh, with all the things said, and we can't ever forget that Sebastian Ajo signed the offer sheet. But ultimately, at eight point four five million dollars, did Carolina come out at least slightly on the good to that? Sure did. I mean, it's a it's a good deal. It could have gone north of that very easily, mm-hmm. and we speculated about it during the season. As soon as people started talking about you know, north of $11 million for Mitch Marner. Um, some would say Marner's a better player, probably, but if you go strictly by the numbers, in three years, Ajo and Marner are very close statistically, at least. And a lot of these things are determined by that. Um, but when you look at it, I, I, I think this worked out for Sebastian. That's the best thing. Because I think, you know, he, he wanted to be a Hurricane. There's no question. He also, I think, was frustrated by wherever these negotiations were wanted to speed up the process. I think it was a smart decision by his agent to get to Bergevin, ask him, you know, can, is there something, you know, you could do, be a great player, you know, for your team, but then, you know, what's Montreal do? Do they go all in? And I think they could have. They could have surrendered more in terms of compensation. They could have 
you know, given the player more financially mm-hmm. and maybe pushed, you know, Tom Dundon against his promise and, and Don Waddell of matching any offer. But this offer obviously was one they could match. I still think it's significant bonus money. Oh, yeah. I still think that that's a lot for any owner in the National <laughs> Hockey League. And, you know, Tom has uh, said he can handle it. I'm sure he can. That's, that's all well and good. But I think the key here is what did the player want? And so he gets a five-year deal, which the team probably would have wanted an eight-year deal. He gets a five-year deal, but the five-year deal is better than a one-year deal and going down the road again. So that's good for the team. The, the AAV is good. The, uh, the, the average rate's good. The cap hit's good. Signing bonus is up to the owner. But the bottom line is Sebastian Ajo knew he could easily be a hurricane again. And if it didn't work out for whatever reason, he signed the sheet. He goes to Montreal. So there is part of him that was willing to do that because yeah. there, are, there are reports that suggest that Braden Point has already turned down a Montreal offer sheet and just wants to negotiate mm-hmm. with the Tampa Bay Lightning. So there's a conventional way to do it. And it appeared if the Canes continued down the same road with Ajo and he back at them, that this would have gotten at least a training camp and maybe beyond. Oh, I don't think there's any question about that. All right, back to uh, – you, you don't do lobster. Uh, back to your, I don't know, uh, clams on the half shell. Mm. No, I'm, uh, I've had some issues. Uh, I'm all good. More but I, I've had to adjust uh, diet and everything based on this uh, – I'm like Phil Mickelson now. I have psoriatic arthritis. Oh, no. We don't want that. Oh, yeah. More yeah. of a turf so guy I, and less I'm, of a surf guy. Oh, my God. It's horrible. Like it's, uh, so I've been gimping around for a month, which is painful if anybody has ever had this. But on the other side of it, you have to change your, your diet and a lot of other things. So old Johnny boy is uh, a little grumpy these days. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't sound grumpy. So, we'll, uh, no. we'll, uh, so back, to the, back to the coast, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, John. Okay. Great hearing your voices. Take care. All right. I did not realize that uh, John had dietary issues. Neither did I. <laughs> and it's really unfortunate because he's up there in the land of the great Maine lobster right now. Gosh. So many delicacies from the sea that seemingly he can't have right now. And that's really upsetting to hear, especially Maine. from me, who is a guy who loves a good Maine lobster. I mean, lobster's great. I mean, uh, Clams, right? Oh, oh gosh, it's such a great place. I love, I love a good steam pot. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Where you can just go and crack open all of the fresh seafood and eat it. So, man, I wouldn't be able to be in Maine with a with an issue like that. Two quick Maine stories. One, uh, back the summer before I went to college for the first time, uh, my dad took my brother and I on a whitewater rafting expedition. And we went, we, we had to get up to, I guess it was Bangor. So we land in Portland, Maine and drive up the coast. And uh, we, get, we get in our car, our rental car, and we're driving up the coast. We're hungry. Uh, and we, on the highway, we see the, um, uh, like a sign for a, uh, like, just restaurant. Good, let's go. Uh, we, at like, there's a sign out in front of the restaurant that says, uh, salad bar, uh, Comes with two pound Maine lobster. Wait, the salad bar comes with the Maine lobster? Like, whoever orders anything but the salad bar. Right. <laughs> which is what we did for like ten ninety nine. We each got the salad bar, which was massive. It was like a 20 foot long salad bar. And uh, it comes with uh, a two pound Maine lobster. I mean, that's incredible. It was awesome. I mean, I, I don't know that I would leave there. I'm used to paying quote-unquote market price right. for them, which usually equals somewhes somewhere around like 60 and $65 yeah, wherever ma- you go. Market price in Maine is 
yeah. pretty low. I uh, mean, people, the lobster walks around the uh, walks around the street. True. Uh, just one more thing to add to the lobster talk here. Great gift. Yeah. Idea. A lobster. Sending live Maine lobsters. Oh, really? Yes. So I had a girlfriend one time uh, before I was married, and good. I decided <laughs> to to send her parents. Uh, live Maine lobsters as a Christmas gift. Right. And her father called me and was like, this is the greatest gift I've ever gotten. So they just showed up at his door on dry ice, and they were live. Really? And, yeah. With with the rubber bands on the claws, yeah. I hope, yeah. Yeah, of course. That seems cruel, though. So, I mean, it's kind of an expensive thing to do because you're paying for the lobster. you got to pay for special shipping right. to keep them cold and dry alive ice, and all that yeah. stuff. But still... Great gift idea. If you're looking, if, if you've got someone in your family that uh, fancies themselves <laughs> somewhat of a culinary um, connoisseur or just an enjoyer of the culinary world, great gift idea. Well, that's that's absolutely awesome. Uh, all right, let's get, let's get to some hockey talk. And again, we thank John Forslund, uh, dietary restrictions and all, for joining us here in the Canes Corner podcast. Uh, all right, let's let's start with. Um, you know, a little bit. I know we talked about it with John, but, you know, where Ryan Dezingle fits and, you know, we look at what the Hurricanes have done so far two weeks into free agency and Dezingle really uh, the free agent that they added. They ultimately settled on bringing back Peter Mrazek, uh, you know, the trades they made for uh, for James Reimer, for Eric Howla. Uh, so what do you make of what this team looks like so far? I mean, I like it. I don't look at it and say that they are exponentially better, but I think they are marginally better than they were last year, and that's why I asked John Forson, because that's the ultimate question whenever you make moves in the offseason. Are you making the team better or not? And there's context involved with those things, too, because sometimes Mm -hmm. you go into an offseason and the goal is to make the team better, but sometimes there are long-term objectives in mind as well. And you're not necessarily in a place to to win now. So, but in this particular case, the Hurricanes have found themselves in somewhat of I don't know. Are they in a window right now, a winning window? Because they're coming off a really successful season. They had a great run through the playoffs. There's a lot of goodwill here, and I think they have some good, talented young players on their team right now. In fact, if you look up and down the lineup right now, I feel like it's a pretty balanced lineup in terms of age. You know, it's not necessary. I mean, we, I think last year we talked about it being a really young group, but mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you got Jordan there, Jordan Stahl to balance things out. You got Justin, assuming he comes back there, to kind of balance balance things out with veteran presence. And then you got some guys that are sort of in the the middle part of their careers, like Tavo Teravainen uh, and others on the team. Uh, and you've got a lot of the young guys coming up into their primes right now. I mean, for so long it was all about wait till these young guys, you know, get into get more NHL experience. Mm-hmm. Well, we're kind of to that place now where Brett Pesci's had a lot of NHL experience, yeah. Jacob Slavin's had a lot of NHL experience, Justin Fox, another guy is kind of in the middle of his career. Trevor Van Riemsdyk has a lot of NHL experience. Uh, Sebastian Aho now has a ton of uh, NHL experience, yeah. and he's a budding star. Um, so. I like where they are in terms of the people that they've added and their chances to continue the success that they had last year. Um, I like the Dezingle trade, obviously. I like the terms of the trade. I like the amount of money that it cost mm-hmm. them to, to bring him in. He's a guy who scored 20-plus goals last year. He's a speedy player. I think he fits in Rod Brindamore's system really well. 
And when you and I talked about what this team needs, you know, continuing to up the scoring ante, if you will, yeah. is something you can't have too much of. And I think he'll provide that. Yeah, like, like, they're they're clearly f- uh, a faster team today than they were at the end of last year. Yeah, you know, Dezingle and Howla are both really fast players, and uh, to me, this the key to all of this really isn't Dezingle. It's what what version of Eric Howla shows mm-hmm. up. You know, he had a, a pretty bad knee injury at the end of la- you know at the beginning of last season. I think he played fourteen games or so, and uh, interestingly enough, it happened on a uh, not really a hit, but just a uh, sort of um, you know kind of a freak incident with. Uh, Patrick Marlowe, <laughs> who I the mean, Hurricanes con- you know bought the contract of uh, in exchange for a uh, for a first round pick, but if he comes back from that injury and he's the same player he was, or even close to the same player he was the year before, where he scored twenty nine goals for Vegas as a second line center on a team that went to the Stanley Cup Finals, uh, then suddenly Carolina looks so much better down the middle with Ajo, Stahl, and Howla. Uh, and he provides, first of all, Howell is a good two-way player. You could argue that, you know, in a perfect world, he'd play as many or even more minutes than Jordan Stahl, at least for the bulk of the season to keep Stahl fresh, getting to a postseason run where you really want to rely on Stahl in the face-off circle and defensively as a checking center uh, to uh, to kind of bother the other teams, either top line or one of their top scoring lines. So to me, Howell is so vital to what this team does, but he provides speed and Dezingle provides speed. And if Martin Natchez is part of the mix, you know, depending on how he performs in training camp and, you know, how the season goes, now suddenly you have three players who were not part of last year's team whose game is speed and scoring. And that's a that's a great thing to add. My only fear about this team is that, and and John talked about it. It's not really. I don't need a fighter, right? I don't need a fighter. I mean, certainly that threat was good to have mm-hmm. with Michael Furlan, but this team appears to have a little bit of a deficiency versus last year's team in physicality. Yeah, they're a little light. Yeah. They're a little lighter, and it's so, weird. That's my only fear. It's weird how the loss, I guess I'll put it, of Michael Furland makes the team look so much lighter in terms of physicality. But, yeah, I think we misconstrue what it means to be a physical team and uh-huh. be kind of a grit and grindy team. I think people's minds immediately go to fighting. But for me, it's more about having guys out there that – you know you're going to take a lick from uh-huh. if you go into the corner to try to dig a puck out every single time. Ask Ryan Johansson. Remember the game against Boston? I guess it was in Boston. Ferlin, I mean, he put Ryan Johansson out. for. I mean, I'm not saying you want to knock somebody out, but with a cl- 100% clean hit, that was Ferlin's game. Right. Uh, and right now, if you look at the roster, and we still don't know what the, um, what the result is going to be of Brock McGinn's arbitration hearing we don't know how the hurricanes are going to deal with uh, a mcginn who is likely due a contract possibly north of two million dollars uh for a season but mcginn uh jordan martinook you know svechnikov and stall play a physical game but that's that's a little bit different mm-hmm. 
And, I mean, maybe Warren Fogle, but I don't even put him in that category. So right now you've got Brock McGinn and Jordan Martinook as the only guys you can see, you know, you know, throwing their bodies around yeah, I mean, because I would that's throw, kind of their style. I would throw Warren Fogle into that mix yeah, a little bit. I, I mean, We didn't see a ton of that. He's a great four-checker, but we didn't see the physical element of right, his but game I mean, as much. I feel like when we talk about Jordan Stahl and we talk about Andrei Sveshnikov, I think their physicality manifests itself more in uh, their, you know, at least for me, for Andrei Sveshnikov, like driving to the net, the power that he has, you know, to to keep guys off of him mm-hmm. uh, as he's bearing down on a goaltender or something like that. You know, Jordan Stahl gets himself in such great uh, positions to be a, a, a good defensive center. Um, and he'll throw his weight around a little yeah. bit too. But, uh, you know, in terms of the the energy type guys, the guys who are who are kind of flying around out there uh, making hits, Jordan Martinook's that guy. You mentioned uh, Brock McGinn is that guy as well. Um, they don't have many of those guys. And you know, Michael Furlan, like I think last year overall, the team was a much more physical team, uh, just in terms of like sometimes playing the body first. Mm-hmm. Like I thought Justin Falk was a much more physical player last year, where right. there were times. And this goes really to a lot of the guys on the team where I feel like that's what they have to focus on a little more. Forget the puck and forget the man. Get your body position right, and then you'll get the puck from there. And I thought two years ago people were a little bit less apt to do that. I thought last year they were, and maybe Michael Furlan was a tone setter in that way where you have a guy that goes out there and is willing to throw his body around a little bit, and other guys look around and they go, oh, okay, that's acceptable. Mm -hmm. We can do that. Now, without him, does that kind of does that tone setting type of guy go away? I don't know. I hope not, because as we've discussed multiple times, that's kind of the nature of the game. And to, even Tom Dundon recognized that coming in when he bought the team. We got to get some dudes in here who are willing to pay the price to, to yeah. win, as Bill Peters used to say, right? And that goes offensively mm-hmm. and defensively. You got to be be willing to take a hit in order to win the puck too. Make a play. Take a right. hit to make a play. Yeah. Right. So we'll see if those things that we saw kind of upped last year return this year. But, yeah, I would say that's one thing. John mentioned sort of the back end of the defensive unit. I mean, last year we came into the year looking at a defensive unit, three three solid pairings. Of yeah, people. there was no weakness. And now Calvin DeHaan is gone. Trevor Van Riemsdyk's out, although we hope he'll be back for the beginning of the season. But mm-hmm. he'll probably take – some time to get himself into shape or whatever. But we're still looking at, you know, one or two players that, you know, we're not sure completely about yet. Hayden Fleury mm-hmm. still has yet to kind of come into his own at the NHL level. There's Jake Bean come up next year. Uh, there are others as well. So the back end of that defensive uh, core, I think, needs to be shored up as well. Yeah, the Hayden Fleury on the back end. I mean, I'm not saying this is not his last chance. I mean, he's still he's still in his early 20s. Um, he, but he, there's even no guarantee that he's going to be the starter on the left side in the third pair. Right. Um, it, really, when I was looking at it, there are there are really three players that have a chance. To, I mean, hopefully Trevor Van Riemsdyk will be ready to go for the start of the season. If not, the Hurricanes. I mean, you have uh, Roland McEwen who is a very solid mm-hmm. defenseman who could man that spot. I, I do not believe, though, uh, that – I mean, he's a restricted free agent. They haven't signed him yet. I assume they'll sign him. 
Um, but the issue for me is if you do sign him and you bring him in, I think he'll have to clear waivers before he goes down. And I don't believe he'll clear waivers. I think you'd lose him uh, to another NHL team because I think uh, my understanding is that everybody believes he can be right now a, a third pair solid defenseman. He had a really good playoffs against a lot of NHL caliber talent. And this is how I was told he had a good playoffs. You never called his name. Like he played a ton and his name never showed up, which meant that he didn't make any mistakes. So you can have McEwen play on the right side of a third pair if Van Riemsdyk's not ready. But it's going to be between Hayden Fleury, Jake Bean, and probably Gustav Forsling, who came over with Anton Forsberg in the trade that sent DeHaan and Alexi Sarella to the Blackhawks. And so we'll have to we'll have to see if um, if Fleury is up to that challenge. He's a great kid. Um, he's he's been incredibly accepting of the role where the role wherever he is, mm-hmm. you know, playing big minutes in Charlotte during a playoff run, being kind of a guy who's available to step in here. Um, but we haven't seen he has to be a physical player. Yeah, if, if he can be a physical presence on the back end, and also not forget his responsibilities. Then he has a chance because he's got skill, he's got size, and he's a pretty good skater for somebody that you ask to be a physical player on the on the blue line. And the truth is, is that they don't really have. I mean, Forsland, not Forsland, Falk is their most physical defenseman, mm-hmm. and I mean he, but he's their only one. Slavin is more of a positional guy. Hamilton, offensive guy. They really don't have a physical presence. They need somebody else. It would be great if it was if if it was Flurry. Yeah, I think the one thing that the phrase that comes to mind when I think of of Hayden Flurry and where he could benefit himself is he needs a little mean streak in him. Yeah, right. Like he is a really nice guy, and I feel like we talked about before last year. We we have talked about well, even last year we've talked about how good the locker room is in terms of the mm-hmm. types of people they have in there I mean they're all really good dudes you know and they in a way that translates itself to the ice where they don't want to impose on anybody right <laughs> and it's like well we kind of need you to impose on somebody yeah. today right and and Hayden Fleury I think could do himself a favor in terms of his value to a team by having a little bit more of a mean streak in them. Mm-hmm. Um but we'll see if we'll see I don't I don't know how you just manifest how do you just how you just make that happen. You know, you, you somehow he's got to find a, a a way to motivate right. himself or get himself amped up for a game uh or get himself into that place mentally. So I don't I don't I don't know if you just do that or if you have to kind of learn how to do it. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, my my wife refers to the Hurricanes as having too many clean necklines. My wife does hair, so if you think about it, how many how many guys on the Hurricanes have like messy hair other yeah, than Falk, I mean, right? Yeah, that's it. And and, if, <laughs> and and Dougie Hamilton. And I feel like if it is messy, it's sort of it's sort of on purpose. Right. <laughs> it's organized mess, right? I mean, Brock McGinn's the only one that I can think of that. That sort of had the long hair thing going for a while, but even his isn't yeah. really that out of control. I mean, none of them really even can grow a beard. Oh, that so, is true. So they have nothing really to keep clean. I think Ryan Dezingle might be uh, might be able to uh, to grow some facial hair and have some uh, flowing locks and maybe an uneven neckline. Uh, all right, let's so let's let's move this to uh, spend a couple of minutes talking about Justin Williams. We don't know what the, what the end result is going to be. I will stand very firm on this. 
I will be surprised if Justin Williams does not play another year. Now, um, I've had uh, text conversations with Justin a few times already this summer, and we're recording this on July 15th. Happy birthday to my uh, my son who turns 21 today. Oh, happy birthday. Yeah. Um, no more no more O'Doul's. Well, um, hmm. we'll just leave it at that. The So uh, he has not told me that he is definitely coming back, but I think he is just keeping that as under wraps as possible. I will be stunned if that decision hasn't already been made in his mind. I believe he is preparing to play. I think right now we're dealing with a situation where he is simply in negotiations with the Hurricanes. I really believe that. And he is trying to get as fair a deal as possible. I wish him luck with that. Um, I I mean, it would be an absolute nightmare, public relations-wise, if Justin Williams plays for any team not named the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, But with all of that said... I think this team legitimately needs Williams. I mean, to, I don't see 99 points next year. Yeah. Unless Justin Williams is on the team. And yeah. that, I mean, to me, that's the baseline. I think you might need to be a 100-point team to make the playoffs next year. And yeah. I don't see Carolina getting there without Justin Williams. Yeah, I agree. I I kind of have, I mean, I don't I don't know Justin the way that you know him. But my feeling has always been that he's going to come back. And that's just mm. simply a gut feeling that he's that he's going to come back. Just because last year was such a great year, you know, I always have gotten the sense that Justin Williams was on a real serious mission here <laughs> to try to help this team. And he did get them a long way last year. So maybe he feels fulfilled by that. I don't know. It's He seems like mostly the guy who, if you don't win, he's told us a bunch of times, then it's a failure. Yeah. It so, t- t- took him like two months to admit that last season was really good. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I mean, maybe he, maybe he, it's kind of one of those things where he was so close. Yeah. And he realized, you know, and, and that, that, that taste in his mouth is still there to try to get back there. They can do it. You know, they showed you you can do it. It's, you know, you, they know it's in there. They just have to get one step further to the finals to give themselves a chance at winning a Stanley Cup. So maybe that's what motivates him to come back this year. But, look, I think we often overstate leadership in sports. Uh Most of the time, I think it's overstated. And that doesn't mean that it doesn't exist or that uh, it's not a thing that happens in sports. But, I mean, you show me a team that's losing, and I'll show you a fan base who thinks there's no leadership. Right. Right? I mean, the the two things kind of go one and the same. Um, when the team's winning, it's really easy to, to say there's great leadership there because it's one of those intangibles of sports you know, that you can't necessarily put your eyes on, you can't necessarily put your ears on. We're not in the locker room when they go to an intermission down two goals you know, after two periods mm-hmm. or whatever. We're not there for those types of things. But I think we romanticize a lot of what leadership is in sports, that it's it's a lot of you know fire and brimstone and those types of things. But in reading things that, about what Justin Williams has done for other players and other teams in the past, I was reading an anecdote recently about the way that he uh, addressed the team before they won a cup in 2012 with L.A. I mm-hmm. believe in that series they were down, what, 3 nothing in the series yeah. and came back and won. That was in the first and round, I believe, so, right? San Jose? Yeah. 
And I think that uh, he is the the guy the, the the type of guy who has a way with human beings, with mm-hmm. a way with people in terms of communicating with them, uh, and then also backing up everything that he does. Like I don't think Justin Williams goes into the locker room and you know gives all these great fiery speeches or not. I think what he does is he shows up in shape. Yeah, he works his ass off. You watch him in practice. He he leads every single sprint, drill, whatever it is they do. He leads it yeah. at 37 years old. He's the guy that's in front of a lot of their skating drills, their conditioning drills, all of those things. And then he then he scores. I mean, last year, look at the point production that he had, especially in the second second half of the season, Man. and in the moments that he scored, they were all big goals. Yeah. So, <laughs> so he, he has nothing wasted. He has that cer- that that certain je ne sais quoi, if you will, Excellent. where he 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 relates to people, and he walks the walk. And to me, that's that's what you need in a leader is someone who does what they say they're going to do, and you, you can't you know you it's a, it's the same thing with Rod Brindaborn. What's made him such a good coach for this team? He's backed it up. Mm-hmm. Everything that he asks of his players. He's done. You know, having been around Rod when he was the captain and then this year when Willie's been the captain, there's a ton of similarities between those two players. I mean, they're very different players because Brenda Moore was just so solid, almost by the book as a player. And Williams is the ultimate freelancer. Williams makes plenty of mistakes. Uh, and Rod knows about it. Rod's like, oh, shakes his head, rolls his eyes. Ha-, you know, not half the time, but a, a good amount uh, when Williams is doing things that, like, why is he doing that? Uh, but Williams also recovers from those mistakes very well. He mm-hmm. doesn't let it bother him the rest of the game. Um, and he makes way more good plays than he makes questionable plays. And on uh, on top of all of that, one of the tricks that Brenda Moore was able not it's not a trick but one of the things that qualities that Brenda Moore had when he was a captain was not being unnecessarily vocal so sometimes you don't have to say anything right and i think williams is the same way in that regard but williams has an ability cuz you were alluding to it he can relate to anybody he can relate to the young guys and he can relate to the older guys and in fact the older guys he has a way of bringing them down into a younger mentality. And the, the younger guys, he has a way of elevating them. Uh, and I just, he has a, he's such a fun, fun guy. And I, this is something I think is important. When things are going well, and I, don't, I mean, this is my own observation from being in the locker room after almost every home game last year, preseason, regular season, postgame, postseason. When things are going well, I mean, unless Justin scored the game-winning goal, Justin's not. Where is Justin? He's not around. Everybody else is around, allowing them to be kind of the focus when things are going well. When things are going poorly, and there was a stretch at home last year where things were going poorly, Justin was always around. I'm like, I guess we're to the point where I got tired of talking to him after losses mm-hmm. because I, I, we're asking you the same question over and over and over again. And um, it just became I, – I felt tiring to him yeah, I, I, as well as tiring to us. I only had him on the on the Stormwatch a couple of times only because I didn't want to oversaturate us right. with Justin because he was there so many times in the aftermath, right? Yeah. Um, 
So that's it is kind of interesting that 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 that's the case. But go back and if you went back and looked at it after losses, it's almost always Justin, and after wins, it was rarely Justin. But with all of that said, you can't be a good leader or a good captain without playing well, because ultimately, it's a this is a performance driven job to be. Uh, whether it's the captain or just a productive part of any good team. So Williams played about 17 and a half minutes a game last year, which nobody expected. Rod Brindamore didn't expect. That number probably needs to be closer to 13 uh, next year than it is where it was last year. But he was incredibly productive. Half of his goals came in the third period. He led the team in uh, in power play goals for a team that had a terrible power play. Um you know, he was better in the second half than he was in the first half in terms of his offensive production. So I, I, just, I just don't see how they – replacing leadership, I think for the most part you're right. It's such an intangible you just don't know how to put your finger on it. But this team, this team doesn't have a suitable replacement for him either uh, on the wing or in the locker room. And that's my – if they don't bring him back – it will be the ultimate experiment this year. It might work out. I'm not saying it can't, but it's going to be quite an experiment if they go into this season and Justin Williams is not part of this team. Well, I mean, the other thing, too, is if he comes back and Brock McGinn comes back, then how does the what, how do the numbers shake out in terms of <laughs> who doesn't play? You know, what's interesting is that I guess it's possible. First of all, last year was such a, an anomaly. They had about nine guys or even ten forwards that did not get hurt all year. That never happens. How many guys played 82 games? I mean, Williams played 82 games. Mm-hmm. McGinn played 82 games. Uh, Jordan Martinuk, with all his injuries, played 82. Warren Fogel, I mean, it was a couple, healthy scratch a couple of times. But for the most part, they all played 82 games. So that's not going to happen. But going into the season, given full health... If Williams is signed, and I assume he will be signed, the answer might actually, at least at the beginning, be Natchez. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's that it's it's possible, yeah. Only because um, he has options to start the season in the minor leagues, right? And he's not going to be hurt by going down there and being dominant. Probably not. Uh, it, but if he has a great training camp, which I know they want him to have then you're not going to be able to send him down. And then it becomes, honestly, either McGinn or Martinook that becomes a healthy scratch on opening night, barring an injury. Because Svechnikov, Ajo, Teravainen, Niederreiter, Stahl, if Natchez has a good camp, Dezingle, Howla, Williams, Fogel. Listen, I have to say that... (laughs) It's amazing. If that turns out to be the case, I mean, that's kind of a... It's kind of a good place to be. Yeah, right. Absolutely. I mean, those are the types of healthy scratches you want. And maybe you keep thirteen forwards, which is frankly what they should do anyway. And then I'm not saying you let them battle it out during the season, uh, but you have the ability, the luxury of giving players a night. Mm-hmm. You know, it worked for Washington. I mean, I know Washington lost to Carolina I mean, in the first round of the playoffs, but that's what Washington did. Uh, just to uh, reference the Stormwatch again, I talked to someone from the opposing media right. before every game. And I can't tell you how many times people have told me that so-and-so would be sitting out 
just because. Right. Like, not because they don't deserve to be in the lineup, but just because they have the luxury of putting him up in the box and letting someone else play mm-hmm. and giving him a night off. There's nothing wrong with having that problem. Right. No, 100% true. And, I mean, look, it might even give you the option. I know this is going to sound weird, and I don't think Rod Brindamore would ever do it because I know how he feels about uh, Jordan Stahl, but Jordan Stahl's in his 30s. He's a big guy. And I think we all saw in the second half of the year how a fresh-looking Jordan Stahl could really impose his will on a game. And I'm not saying you want Stahl to miss 34 games in the middle of the season like he did this year, because that's what happened. But man, he was a different player when he came back. And you wonder if just the grind of an 82-game schedule just takes its toll on him because he's not fast. But when fresh, he looks a little quicker. Oh, there was definitely a pep in right? his stride. And, and that continued all the way through until everything fell apart against Boston. But that that include all it carried all the way through the playoffs. And when Stahl is playing that, I mean, that's a, that's a completely, that's a different, that's a different element to any team because he he commands so much space and so much attention, and he's so smart, uh, and he showed a high offensive side. I mean, I I just I just don't think you could absolutely discount what those games missed meant for Jordan the rest of the season. So if you have the option to you know even on a fourth line to slide Martinuk to the middle, uh, or I mean, you could you could use Tara Vinen in the middle in a given game, and give Stahl a night off. That's a different. That's a total difference maker for this team. I mean, you, you go into the season, maybe Stahl and Williams don't play too many back to backs. Right. Not all of them, because I mean, you got about sixteen or seventeen back to backs. You don't want to just take them out of the lineup that many times. But you have the option to do that, and I think that would be if this team could go into the season with that mindset. I mean, thinking about it long term, you don't want to sacrifice, you know, playoffs. But I, it, it wouldn't be the worst thing that ever happened. I think. No, no, I'm I. That's what I'm saying. I mean, if you have that luxury, I think it it bodes well for you. If uh, you think of yourself as a team that can make a long run in the playoffs, um, we talk all the time about. At some point, <laughs> with goaltenders. John Forsen always says you got to play back to backs sometimes. I agree. So you can't do it all the time, as you mentioned. But giving those guys a break here and there, I mean, throughout the course of a six month season, nothing wrong with that. Nothing right. wrong at all. Before we uh, before we wrap up here, real quick, um, we'll close on the uh, the goaltenders, and then we'll uh, we'll say goodbye. Um, Mrazek, right now, this is the intent. Peter Mrazek, James Reimer. Alex Nedeljkovic will be the three goaltenders that they intend to go into the season and use. Uh, I think it's possible they carry three goaltenders at the start of the season, my understanding, uh, depending on uh, what their roster looks like. Um, But what do you think of that combination of goaltenders versus last year's combination of goaltenders? Um... I guess it's I don't have any like real strong feelings one way or the other. Like I'm not going to sit here and try to say that Peter Morazic somehow is going to have a better season or an exponentially better season mm-hmm. than he's having than he had last year. I think he had 
a, a pretty good season last year. We went into last year asking for league average goaltending, and that's what we got. I think it would have been nice to have been able to retain Curtis McElhaney, but that wasn't what happened. I don't I don't really know what to expect from James Reimer, except that he's an NHL caliber goaltender who I think can spell Morazic when he needs it because Morazic's not going to be a guy who can really be a true number one goaltender, I mm-hmm. don't think. So I'm cool with having Reimer, you know, be a, a an NHL caliber backup goaltender. I feel I feel fine about that. I don't feel any type of trepidation behind James Reimer necessarily. I'm curious about Alex Nedeljkovic. I really am. I mean, mm-hmm. he was the goaltender of the year in the AHL. He's had his stints up here in the NHL. Looked pretty good in a start. I think he only had one start last year. Yeah, just one in Vancouver. He was excellent. And he was good. Now, Vancouver wasn't very good last year, but whatever. You know, you come up on the road and you make an NHL start and you were pretty good. So I'll be curious to see what what kind of training camp he has. And I would feel, you know, I would feel comfortable with Ned being a backup goaltender at this point as well. So that's kind of where where I am on it. I, I I I like that Peter's back. I like his style. I like his personality. I'm glad they were able to get that done. This place seems like a good fit for him. So, you know, I'm 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 pleased, I guess, with the way that things shook out in terms of goaltenders. Um I'm not trying to be overly optimistic because that's not my nature anyway. <laughs> um Join the club. I I actually think this has the potential to be a better goaltending situation than last year. Uh, let's remember that the Scott Darling thing was always hanging over everybody's head. Right. And he played eight games, and most of them were not good. He had one, maybe a couple of good games, both against Chicago. Uh, but for the most part, Darling was his normal disappointment. Uh, Peter had a really good year and earned his two-year contract. Reimer, I mean, there's enough evidence that James Reimer could end up being every bit as good as Peter Morazic. And I'm saying this in a positive way. I'm not saying uh, the Morazic that uh, basically played his way out of favor and needed a get-right one-year deal uh, at below market value to kind of reestablish himself as a as an NHL goaltender, um, I think Reimer could end up. He's a he's been a good goaltender before. On top of the fact that his career is littered with starts that basically almost get him to half a season, so th- the Hurricanes are uniquely equipped this year to essentially roll with a goalie tandem. And both guys are capable of playing 40 games or so. Mrazek, you want, I mean, perfect world. Mrazek starting almost 50. Right. And then Reimer's getting the bulk of those uh, starts in relief. And Ned picks up the slack when needed. Uh, But this could end up being a better combination. Or, I mean, it's such a crapshoot. Reimer's season last year was terrible. Mm-hmm. He's playing behind Roberto Luongo, but he made a bunch of starts and didn't play very well. This wasn't great. Um, but, I mean, his, I think his save percentage was right at 90%. But he's got 92% in his past, in his recent past. 
So there's no reason to think that he can't get that with a better defensive team. Let's remember, Florida was kind of a train wreck defensively last year. So this actually might end up being better. Reimer's significantly younger. He's 31 years old, as opposed to where uh, McElhinney was. Right. Uh, he has a reputation of being good guy in the locker room, too. Um, but I think training camp will be so much fun because, I mean, Nadelkovich is going to get a chance. Yeah. And if he's the best goalie in training camp, He's going to play, which me, which is why I think they could really, they could carry three goaltenders at the start. I know they don't necessarily want to, but I think if if Ned looks good, I think they'll carry three right away. It's funny how much different ninety two percent save looks than ninety percent yeah. in hockey. Like when you say it that way, because normally we look at it nine hundred or nine twenty. And 920 seems like, oh, yeah, man, that's so much better. But when you say 90 to 92, it's like, oh, it's only 2% better. Uh, But it is such a big deal, right? Yeah, it is. I think the other thing at play here is kind of the dynamic going into the season where the the roles are defined already, right? Like, I think Peter goes into this season knowing he's the number one goaltender, which I think will be interesting to see how that plays out. That's an adjustment right there, right? Right. Uh, last year, it was like you said, it was kind of prove me. Darling was here. I think it was kind of assumed that Darling would, you know, be the number one, or at the very least, they went in going, okay, we'll split time here. But now we have a guy who's going to be the number one technically, and somebody who's going to be the backup. And you got the young kid gunning. Yeah. So for both spots, to be honest, there should be right. there should be a healthy amount of competition yep. uh, in in training camp this year. So I think that's that's going to be interesting to see how Peter handles that because th- everything you read about where things went wrong for Peter was when he got comfortable. Mm-hmm. When he got comfortable in the league, oh yeah, he stopped working as hard. And I've I've heard that from a number of different guys. Mm-hmm. Who was it that we had on? Uh, not uh, not Aaron Ward, but, uh, Kevin Weeks. Okay, yeah, Kevin Weeks talked about that. That he thought he got a little bit lazy when he when things were good in his first couple of NHL seasons. So now here he is in another position where he's got a little bit of, you know, he's solid in his position at least for now, two year mm-hmm. deal, right? So we'll see how he can how he how he handles that if he if he if he keeps that same kind of mentality that he had last year. Yeah, I mean, look, it's I, it's going to be fun again. Just uh, just to kind of recap our part of this conversation. Um, I think we both agree that the our only concern really is a got to you got to make sure the leadership of Williams is there, the leadership and production of Williams is there, and they have to figure out a way to be kind of a little a little bit more gritty than this team looks like it can be on paper. So that's what ultimately has to change. Uh, we'll probably do this again. Right? I hope so. Yeah, we'll probably do this again. Hopefully, uh, we don't have to do it again. And then again. And then again. <laughs> we thank uh, we thank John Forsland. Enjoy uh, enjoy your summer. As soon as Justin Williams signs a contract with the Hurricanes or someone else, uh, we'll uh, we'll be back. So uh, so thanks. You've been listening to the Canes Corner Podcast with Adam Gold. Don't forget there are many ways you can listen to this podcast, including streaming at WRALsportsfan.com, the WRAL Sports Fan app. And you can also subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Casts, and TuneIn. Thanks again for listening to the Canes Corner Podcast. Is getting your CPAP supplies a real pain? 
It doesn't have to be that way. Hi, I'm Brandon Giggling, president of Parkway Sleep Health Centers, and we are North Carolina's number one source for CPAP machines and supplies. Our streamlined process makes getting your CPAP as easy as one, two, three, and we ship anywhere in the state. If you're in need of a CPAP machine, supplies, a knowledgeable doctor, or a sleep study, Parkway has you covered. For information or to schedule an appointment, visit parkwaysleep.com. Sound sleep, sound health. 